It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me on the show is Greg Head. He's the CEO of Greg Head Consulting, and until not too long ago, the CMO of Infusionsoft. Greg, welcome to Accelerate. It's great to be here, Andy. So take a minute, uh, fill in on your background a little bit. Uh, you know, how'd you end up where you are today? Well, uh, I've been in the software business for 30 years, starting way back in the late 80s when a friend of mine said, well, are you looking for a real job out of college? Come work with me at Egghead Software. Oh, Egghead. Yes. So I'll get right to it. I was Greg Head from Egghead back in the early days of the software business. And wow. that was an ultimate gift to me. So I have fun with that, of course. But uh, the gift was... Um, now, weren't I found, they up in Seattle? They were based in Seattle, but it was one of the fastest growing companies in America. And it was the beginning of the packaged software business when it was just... Uh, coming out of the hobbyist and into the mainstream. And of course, software is a massive industry back then, but, but back then yeah. it was misfits and the early things. So it was all the new stuff every week, PageMaker and WordPerfect and all that kind of stuff. And I <laughs> oh, was yeah. selling my brains out and learning all the software, managing retail stores. And I just had a ton of fun with that. that so was, I that was my, yeah. excuse me, I just remember meeting, I was up there. I met with them yeah. for some reason. I'm trying to remember which company I was with where I met with, Egghead, but um, who was the CEO at the time? Victor Alhadaf? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He was, I met with him. I, I forget what I said. I forget, he was the CEO at the time. I forget what company that was, but yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and there I discovered uh, the one of the first software programs for salespeople to actually use computers, which they didn't back then. They didn't know how to type and use computers. That like was for somebody mine? else. Well, ACT. Oh, ACT, yes. <laughs> yeah, ACT and Goldmine, a few others. But right. it was the early days, and uh, salespeople weren't using it. But the first 10 people I ever sold ACT to at my retail store came back and were raving, and I helped them start using it. And I joined a little company of 10 people in Dallas and started taking that around the country and being the national rep, and I helped grow that company as the product manager, one of the first product managers in the software business. And we sold that to Symantec in 93. Right. So I made my way through Dallas and, and uh, Cupertino at Symantec. And with the founder of ACT in 1996, when sales teams were starting to use computers and imagine that that would be useful, right. which was a new thing. Right. Uh, I helped start a company here in Phoenix called Sales Logics, which was CRM for companies that have outgrown individual user act and right. small work act and couldn't afford the complexities of the high-end enterprise software. So did you actually like call it CRM at that point? It was called Salesforce Automation right. way back then. And so we, when we started Sales Logics, it was Salesforce Automation, which is one of the terrible category names because it had you had to force people to use it, and you know nobody wanted to be automated. You couldn't tell your customers, hey, I got Salesforce automation. It's good for you. But you could say, hey, I got customer relationship management. This is going to be a good thing. And so the 90s is when salespeople started to use computers, and email was the thing that got them really on it. But uh, we grew SalesLogix. Uh, we went public in 99. Um, we actually bought Act back from Symantec, and I ran that business for another 
five years and lived through the dot-com and, right. and all that. And uh, spent a few years with some other startups and helping and consulting and advising. And then I joined Clayton Mask at Infusionsoft, which is sales and marketing software, yep. CRM, and email and automation for small businesses, uh, most like uh, uh, like yourself and, and the rest that right. have big email lists and you know want to monetize and automate all of that, which a small business can't do. And so that's what Infusionsoft is. And so it's like the Salesforce.com for small businesses uh, these days. And we grew yep. that from uh, scrappy you know, $15 million company up to $100 million, and I left uh, last year, and I go back to the early stages. So I'm an early-stage growth guy after invention and, you know, during the whoosh of growth, if you do it right, and then it turns into more of a machine. And uh, so I've helped two companies in Phoenix grow to $100 million. And I saw both of those founders today, Pat Sullivan, the ACT founder, and Clay Mask Very of Infusionsoft. So, um I like helping uh, the crazy ones grow their businesses. And it always looks crazy before it looks obvious. <laughs> well, let, that's where it leads into a topic I want to talk to you about. Because you've, you've written an article about uh, the seven telltale signs that you have strategic problems that will limit your growth, as you just talked about. So, um, <laughs> the first one is that, that I thought it would be fun to go through these. The first one is that, you say that you have mediocre revenue growth despite lots of energy and attention. Well, uh, as you know, helping companies that are ambitious and you know trying to grow, uh, it's you know the it's always a it's like climbing Everest. It's not easy. It's you know full of uh, treacherous obstacles and. Usually companies, they get onto something and they start moving and something works and that team works and there's a market opportunity and they just go great guns, you know, 100% straightforward, we're learning and so forth. But they're in tactical execution mode, run fast. Right. And eventually those magic tricks don't work. Whatever tactic worked a couple of years ago doesn't work as well. Whatever team you had when you were smaller doesn't work as well. Whatever approach you had you know, the market's changed a little bit. So that's a sign when you pedal faster, but the things don't move that you actually need to look deeper. And it's not just another VP of sales or uh, pushing the email button harder. Harder. You know, yeah. So, uh, you know, and there's a time for that where you just got to, you know, work hard. And you, but there's a time in the stair-stepping growth uh, of any company that you have to strategically dig down and move things around to get through the next phase. And that's li really a telltale sign of growth companies. It's not that it was a straight line to get there or random luck is they recognize when they were stuck, things started to slow down. They realize the things that work don't work as well anymore. And we got to start digging deeper. Yeah, I, mean, I think if you look at sort of the the growth curve, I think it doesn't really look like much of a curve. You see, with high growth companies, there's oftentimes sort of slower growth, and there's big step function growth, and then you have sort yes. of slower growth and big step. So it sort of comes in yeah. in bunches. Yeah. And I think yeah. part of the problem seems to be that, as I've experienced, and this is I think for listeners, to, you know, listening to this sort of realizes to the point you made before is as you grow, the recipe changes, and yeah. you have to be conscious of the fact that the recipe changes and sometimes you need to sometimes you lose that recipe and you need to go find it again well it's uh it's so unusual to be part of growth companies i didn't really know this i mean i'm a kid from chicago who got 
fortunately, st- you know, started in mm-hmm. a retail store at the beginning of the packet software business and literally was selling ACT. And 12 years later, I was running the company. And it's right. not because I'm a Stanford MBA or, you know, the smartest uh, person. It's because I figured out what the game was. And by the way, in the growth game, it keeps changing. What you do when you're starting out and nobody's doing it and you're five right. people and, you know, is very different than when you're funded and you have some more credibility and you have VPs of everything and there's more competition is very different than when it's big and established and everybody knows it and there's three companies. A lot of steps so, in between there too, right? Yeah, I mean, no, there's there's uh, literally in between the half a million to $1 million, we're kind of up and running phase to $10 million where, yeah. okay, I think we got it. Is there's probably five or six steps in there, oh, yeah. and uh, dozens of um, landmines uh, that all CEOs who are trying to solve big problems and grow companies have to deal with, and it's such an extreme sport. I mean, it's it's not impossible; it's just hard. Uh, but it's so unusual that normal people don't really know what that's like. I lived in companies that bumped their heads and figured it out and grew sure. 100% a year for 15 years. And I didn't know the world didn't look like that. Right. So, Which it uh, doesn't now I can, most, most yeah, companies, yeah, right? That's correct. And I, I can't do anything else right now. But the lessons are, are the same for either the high growth or even the slower growth company. Is, yeah, right. Even if you're making that transition, I've had clients make the transition from – you know, 10 to 15 million or 10 to 12 million, there's inflection points in there and they have to be really conscious of the fact that, yeah, this this recipe has to be different at 10 million than it is at 12 or 15. Well, uh, there are normal inflection points that are very recognizable for small businesses. Uh, once you look at it, I've spent a lot of time with small businesses and startups and, you know, that move from a sole proprietor to yep. having employees is a huge step function and so forth. But well, and you, you talk about that in one of the tells hell signs of growth, which is our problems, excuse me, in the growth is you come into a small business and you find out the CEO is doing most of the selling. Yeah. Well, that's a sign that uh, that works in the beginning. You have to do that. And uh, some CEOs are surprised they have to do as much selling as they do to make their uh, uh airplane get off the ground. Uh, But when the magician CEO who knows all the details and the industry and has all the credibility is the only one who can sell sell the product with confidence and at a reasonable rate, then you realize you haven't packaged it up for, um, you know, uh, the rest of the team and mere mortals to be able to sell the same product. And growth is actually... um, a transition from being many things to many people, a lot of ADD, mm-hmm, right, and, mm-hmm. and complexity because it's inside a few people's heads, right. to something that is more systematic and simpler, more OCD uh, and disciplined. That oh, that's interesting. Is capable of scale. So yeah. that's most people are surprised by that, and you know, I find most entrepreneurs who are moving their companies forward and dealing with all the normal struggles, they're like great business athletes. Uh, But nobody told them that that first sport you play is like tennis. And then when you grow and have a team and maybe funding, Mm -hmm. that it's probably a lot less like tennis and it's more like football. Right. 
And you have to put down the racket and say, I, here's what a pass is, and here's what a run is, and a kick. And, and well, then define the you, plays, right? Uh, so there's some, you know. Uh, Why an example of a, of a client I worked with who, who uh, yeah, came in. The guy was very self-aware, entrepreneurial. This was like his third or fourth company, but. You know, the things that just sort of flattened out, and he wasn't really sure why. And it was to your point exactly you made about uh, the CEO. As, as I got in and examined it, it wasn't like he was leading the effort on every sale, but on at least 50% of the sales that they'd had in the previous year, the deal wouldn't have closed without his participation at one level or another. And, and it wasn't that they needed him to do it. <laughs> that, was, that was the crazy thing. It wasn't that the people needed him to do it. It was just they'd gotten into the habit of involving him. Yeah. And it wasn't right. that he need, felt the need to be in it. He just, this is how they had done it. And so, you know, that was our first thing that I changed to say, look, you're no longer in sales to the CEO. And if they have a problem, they'll call you. But otherwise, they're going to finish the deals themselves. And it was pretty transformative. Even within the first year, sales started taking off again because he had become a choke point. Right. At Infusionsoft, when I joined, we had just over 100 employees, and it looked like uh, kind of an ADD company, selling to everybody and mm -hmm. not saying no and add any feature if somebody wanted it and, uh, you know, kind of moving in all directions, which works when you're a smaller company. Right. Um, and then we created more focus in the business for a certain kind of customer that has a certain kind of need. And we narrowed the product and tried to contain it. And our growth started picking up. It literally went from 0% growth six years ago to 40%, 50%, which means doubling mm -hmm. every two years. Right. So, so what we would find as fanatic, smart, energetic, very connected uh uh, leaders and the entire team is that we would figure something out. We'd get it down. Okay, we did the work and it would start to work. And then there'd be the whooshing, the tactical mm -hmm. payoff. And then as the company grew, more people, more customers, the level of complexity in the business grew, that about every 18 months, there would start to be frustration and raising of voices. And the thing that worked 18 months ago, you know, didn't get the same results. Sure. And literally had to stop everything or stop stop what we were doing there, examine it, do the hard work to let go of something and grab onto something else. And and uh, that's how companies do it. And there isn't a company that goes from zero to a hundred million and skips all those steps. Well, sometimes you move it faster and sometimes with a little less angst, but either you're getting stopped there at any step along the way or you're dealing with hard stuff and getting through it. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that you just said that was really sort of interesting to me is is that, and I think for people, you know, listening to this, it's it's really important to pay attention. Is that what I heard you say is that you know, in a high growth company, about every eighteen months, you basically have to sort of hit the reset button. Yeah, and and that's okay. I mean, that's that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. Is that you have the the discipline to say, look. Yeah, things have changed enough that we need to sort of, let's say, put our finger on the reset button, and we're sort of, we're sort of doing a little bit of a turnaround here. Because I get that yeah. question all the time is is from clients. It's like, well, you know, I don't need to do a sales turnaround because you know we're doing okay. I haven't hired a new VP of sales. It's like, no, no, you don't wait till you hire a new VP of sales to hit the reset button. Is something you should be doing yourself. Yeah, and that's because uh, 
you know, the first rule of the game is to know what game you're playing. And the game continually moves as your company grows. And, you know, the the old saying that uh, if you're a founder and then you get VCs, that if you grow to a certain point, then the VCs are going to replace the founder, right? That's kind of the reputation that's out there. Uh, but they don't want to do that. They want the CEO to keep growing mm-hmm. through the phases, which means that they need to stop saying that I'm the best sales guy in the company. Right and reward other best salespeople, right? They have to stop being that and give it up. And Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and other founders that are doing massive things have done the same thing that we were just talking about in organization where you have to shed your skin and figure out what game you're playing and mm-hmm. go master that and give up the old one. And and it's a continual game. And uh, so founders have to do that and leaders have to do that. And the faster you grow, the higher the velocity of your role and the faster you need to move. So most people think it's just about adding new knowledge and skills mm-hmm. and capabilities, but you you know have to stop doing the things you did before um, well, I think in some also, cases. Right. I, mean, I think to uh, sort of align with the point you're making, though, is for entrepreneurs and so on is that – or not entrepreneurs, but for companies that are growing and executives coming in or people coming in – is increasingly, and I think this is a smart thing, you hear this more and more, is people say, okay, well, I think it was um, uh, CEO of LinkedIn that wrote this book, you know, talking about tours of duty, right? So when you hire mm-hmm. people, is sort of like in the military, yeah. you're there for two, three years, you know, that may be the role that's, that's optimum for you. You know, that right. stage of a company's growth, and it's not, yeah. like, not like everybody has to be grow at the company at all times. Right. Yeah. And so uh, the sport of growth is a different kind of game. It's kind of like playing in the pros uh, where, you know, it's not like you're entitled to be the same person and act the same way five years later. The company transformed and you either decide you want to keep going and play that game or, um, you know, do something else. And for, for founders, they can replace leaders like Pony Express. Mm-hmm. That'll get me from this stop to that stop. And a little bit of that knowledge and transformation stepwise change comes from leaders who've been to the next level and they just bring that in. Um, but they actually have to Pony Express themselves yeah. as they get through it. Otherwise, uh, they don't get to play. So that is one of the major reasons that companies get stuck. It's not that they can't figure out how to set up CRM and and ship their product and email correctly. It's because something deeper and less visible uh, is uh, keeping them at that stepwise function. Well, and that's the that's the natural state of things uh, because most companies don't grow up to be LinkedIn or Microsoft no. or Infusionsoft. Well, and one of the cardinal sins you talk about is uh, the, uh, hopefully I can say this without having an explicit rating on my podcast, is you know, companies are making crap up. We'll, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll yeah. change yeah. it from stuff up. making yeah. stuff up every day. So just sort of you know, freewheeling it. And yeah. there is a time when you need to have a plan. I yeah. mean, I... I uh, I worked at Apple in sort of the early days, some of the early days of Apple. And um, 
it was a fairly good sized corporation at that time, and there there were no business plans, you know, at the department right. level. I mean, money was coming in. We just, if, I mean, any budget I wanted, I got for what I was doing at the time, which was it was crazy how much money I was getting. Um, and they changed that eventually, but a lot of yeah. companies still operate that way. Well, uh, and to be honest, that sport makes sense when you're early and playing with a market and seeing what sticks and trying things and aligning. Uh, But the more people you add to the system, the more more the customer expectations go up. Mm -hmm. When Facebook first started, we didn't really care if the feature didn't work or whatever. But now if the image doesn't happen in in a second, we're frustrated. Right. Uh, you know, it, all things change in the maturing process. So that's why I talk about ADD to OCD, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I like that. Mo- most entrepreneurs think the game of starting is what the game is like when you grow a big company. So it's kind of like the chef that says, well, I'm a really great cook. I love to cook. I can cook any kind of food and I love to do different things. And isn't that fun? Well, that's completely different than what a chef does when they make a restaurant. Because at a restaurant, you make one kind of thing mm-hmm. for one kind of customer in one place every day, and the more obsessive you are about making it consistently and great, you know, high quality that other people can do, uh, the better your best your restaurant is. Right. And that's actually, you know, I I uh, Steve Jobs tried to deny that, and then he came back and he said, "Oh no, where it's all about the discipline, right, right? and the focus." So, you know, there's a time to go find your focus and then to be focused and, uh, and, and be that. What the world hears on the outside for a scalable company is a company that, you know, went from trying things and being very focused. You know, Jeff Bezos, when he started Amazon, knew that he could sell anything that could fit in a box. Right. As e-commerce. He, right. he had a vision. But he chose just books. And so he, of course, because books weren't perishable, and if you had one warehouse, you could send it Mm -hmm. around. And smart people who would put credit cards in a browser, you know, that was a pretty good thing to sell to them. And there was already a database and so forth. But the discipline to say no to everything else is what defined Amazon. And you, you of course, remember the second player to Amazon back then in the online books. No, we don't. Yeah, who was it, by the way? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> they, they were so dominant that they did, they added DVDs and CDs. Three years later, they were public and smoked every right. you know buddy out, changed the entire industry, and they slowly added one more thing. And so entrepreneurs and growth companies, they see the big companies, McDonald's, it's everything. It's not just hamburgers. It's salads and coffee and breakfast and, and all that thing. And they see Amazon selling everything to everybody. But in the very beginning of any company that grows up, show me a big company and I'll show you their growth spurt when they were laser focused. And they said, no, 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 we are just this. Just coffee was, you know, high quality coffee right. in a retail was Starbucks. Right. And well, nobody starts being many, many things to many people. The big companies usually end up like that. But nobody sees how that was made. And by the way, when big companies look back and they say, oh, yeah, we've we've always been everything to everybody. They kind of, you know, forget about the stair stepping. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you know, the laser focus that they had. Yeah. Right. And to your point, that's, yeah, it's really important for companies to be able to say no more than they say yes. So, 
Um, yeah, well, I wanted to, in the time we had left, I wanted to talk a little bit about the. Um, you have some interesting thoughts about how to how to rethink your strategies, and and you had some questions people should pose to themselves, which I thought were really interesting. So, and I think whether you're an entrepreneur, I think even if you're an individual salesperson, these are some really interesting questions to ask yourself. And one was I like to you know going forward, if we're making a plan, what would we do if we could not fail? Yeah, interesting so, perspective to have to to do planning if we couldn't fail. What would we do? Right. And uh, planning and, and that time to get out of tactical execution mode, which is where life happens mm -hmm. and progress happens. But occasionally you have to step back and and look at it really deeply. And there's some simple ways to do that and just kind of assess where we've been and what needs to happen next. But it's always useful to pull your mind, stretch it like taffy and try to break some of the you know, the focus, the blinders that we put ourselves on when we're growing companies. Um, and that's a great one. What would we do if we could not fail? What would you do if you had no fear? Right. It creates opportunities. And the, the fun thing, I know you help a lot of, you advise a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. We get to come as outsiders, get right to the core right. questions and start wrestling that thing around and ask questions they wouldn't normally ask themselves. But what I find, I was just doing this uh, yesterday with a very fast-growing company here in Phoenix. They went from, uh, in their first year of business, did $100 million in business. Whoa. And they're in the real estate, yeah, real estate business. It's going to be one of the biggest things. Wow. Uh, but but uh, even as big as they're thinking, and they're thinking massively, in one corner of it, I said, now just let go of all imagination. If somebody could endorse you to tell your story and move everybody along faster, it's a newfangled way to do the housing game, to buy, to sell your house, uh, who would you imagine would be the best one? We played with that for a while. And then by the, you know, we, we threw the ball way out there. Warren Buffett. Said, no, you know, actually, right. He was, yeah. he was one of them right. that came up because he said, uh, you know, last time when the housing market went south, he said, uh, if I had the right vehicle for that, I would buy, uh, I would buy houses, uh, you know, all day long. And the housing market changed when he said that. So, <laughs> so they thought of other things and they realized there's people in the room who knew that person and, you know, we'll start making calls tomorrow. So, so sometimes entrepreneurs think so far ahead, they can't deal with today. Right. And sometimes there's so much in today they can't move these things around. And and this is really the game that most people don't play. The reality is this is a made-up game, mm -hmm. right? And we're making things up ourselves. We're creating products. We're creating companies. Yep. We're creating categories. We're creating sales comp plans. Uh, the world that we exist in was created by people who, you know, Made things ventured up. out and made things up. So well, and also uh, luck, become true. Luck plays a big role in it as well. So yeah, if you're open to open to succeeding, and you said, what can you do if you couldn't fail? Yeah, luck may help you along the way. Yes, and uh, there's a lot of big problems in the world. I mean, all that's left is the big challenges. The easy stuff is we don't worry about anymore, right? The big stuff is the stuff that needs addressing, and. Uh, we need more entrepreneurs and companies and people to aim high to solve some big problems and and go after it like they couldn't fail. Mm -hmm. And just like 
Steve Jobs always said, it's the crazy ones who, you know, if those that think they can actually change the world are the ones that usually do. Right. And, um, you know, that's that's just the, the, the fun of all this game. Yeah. Well, Mere mortals not... can do magical things. Right. What was it said? If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right either way, right? That's exactly right. Right. So, Greg, we're actually in the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And so the first one is one that, gosh, I've posed to well over 400 people right now is, is if you were just hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales have sort of stalled out, sort of like we just talked about growth that got stuck, CEO, the board are anxious for things to happen quickly. What two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Well, uh, my simple method through all these years is to jump in and see as quickly as I can what the current state of things are. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't take it at face value. I keep digging till right. I, cause it's, I know it's all made up. I'm just going to keep digging around <laughs> and see deeper than the sales team and the comp plans and product. And I'm going to, you know, get, get through that pretty quickly. Right. Uh, um, and then I'm going to go straight out and come through at the other side and say, how does the world see us and how do our customers and our prospects see us and jump right out of the building the other way. Right. And so that's, I, you know, that's the part of the magic trick I have. It's not magic, but if I know it's all made up and somebody hands me a comp plan and says, this is the way it is, I say, I appreciate that. Somebody made that up. And I imagine we can move things around. And you go on the other side and you talk to customers and partners, there's things in their head and Mm -hmm. beliefs and so forth. And, you know, that's true. And that can be moved, too. So it's assessing all of that from the inside and the outside. Well, really, it sounds like, sir, as you're talking about, is really understanding people's perceptions of what the problem is. Yeah. And And the thing with perceptions perceptions is, yeah, perceptions are emotional looks at things. So you look for consistency, I think, I would say. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but at least when I do that, yeah, I do the same thing. I don't take anything at face value. And at some level, you start seeing some connections and consistency right? in the story. And that's part of the gift uh, that I can give as an outsider with Mm -hmm. a lot of different perspectives. I'm not in the firefight. I mean, that's the first challenge is that VPs of sales and CEOs who have boards and VP and salespeople who have quotas, you know, it's it's like they're in the firefight. It's yeah. very stressful. You know, they got the blinders on. That's what happens when our stress goes up and everybody's very focused. And, uh, you know, for a moment, I could say uh, I'm not in the firefight completely yet. And I'm going to go look around here and create some possibilities. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you lose that perspective and then you need to get help yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see the forest or the trees. That's okay. Right. So some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Greg, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Well, since I'm part entrepreneur and part marketer, mm-hmm. I, I love helping growth companies deal with the non-obvious strategic structural challenges for growth and CEOs know they have them. So I've been through that game for 30 years. And uh, when I talk to CEOs, we can start put our finger on it pretty quickly. Um, And that's a magic trick that enables their revenues to grow, the valuation Mm -hmm. of their company to grow and the longevity to grow. So I I look for the million dollar problems and 
they're they're all over the place. Uh, so credibility is your yeah. Attribute. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'll take credibility. Sure. Um, so who's your business role model? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, two years ago, I'll say Jim Collins. Okay. Jim Collins is a master of, uh, from an outside, for right. much bigger companies, to come in and put his finger on very intrinsic problems, to reveal it in a narrative that's useful to everybody, uh, and to create a model for getting through the growth phases. Okay. We did some work with him, and uh, he really has the magic trick. Okay. Uh, one book you'd recommend every entrepreneur should read. I'll say Crossing the Chasm, which is a classic. Okay. Jeffrey Moore, and, right? Jeff Moore, yeah. All right. Uh, for Especially for uh, companies more and more these days in the growth game, they're trying to do new things that isn't familiar to the world anymore yet. And there's a, there's a, there's a way to get through that that's pretty – that hasn't changed in all these years. Okay. Yeah, it's a good book if people haven't read it. So, uh, last question for you. What music is on your playlist these days? Hmm. Uh, I play acoustic guitar, so oh, I listen do? to a lot okay. of singer-songwriter. So, I'll say Ryan Adams is oh, Ryan Adams. Okay. It's right up. Very good. Are you in a band? Uh, occasionally. Occasionally. Okay. So, you do gigs? Yeah. Well, uh, jams. How about that? Jams. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Free. No one's paying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, Greg, thanks for joining me today. So tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Well, they can go to my website where some of the uh, topics we talked about are on my blog. Sign up for my newsletter at greghead.com, G-R-E-G-H-E-A-D.com. And they can connect with me on LinkedIn if they want to have a chat about some of their growth challenges. Okay. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for joining me. And remember, friends, thank you for joining me. And remember to make sure that you deliberately learn something new every day to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Greg Head, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. And if you enjoy Accelerate and the value we're delivering, then please also take a quick minute right now to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the podcast and leave your feedback. It'd be very much appreciated. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. <laughs>